Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We've heard it said that the eyes are the window to our soul. What do you think? What do you see when we gaze into the eyes of another person? Actually, you can see a lot. When people are worried, they sort of wrinkle their brow, which makes their eyes look smaller. People are happy, they raise their eyebrows. They cheerful eyes look bigger and brighter, hence the, the saying of brightness. Uh, did you know that you can tell if a smile is real or not by looking at a person's eyes? Sometimes. People can, can fake the shape of a smile with their mouths. We do it all the time just to be polite, don't we? But the eyes are a giveaway. When we're really happy, not only do we smile, we also tend to crinkle the corners of our eyes a little bit, those little crow's feet. We can smile and pretend to be interested when a friend or a co-worker regales us on Monday morning with all the, the mundane details of how they cleaned out their garage. They know what to look for. Our eyes can give us away. When people fake a smile, they usually forget about their eyes. Psychologists have discovered that the size of the pupil can also tell us a lot about the emotions and intentions of their owners. Beyond adjusting mechanically to light, you know, shrinking in bright light and getting bigger in dim light, um, are people's dilated response to emotions. It's part of the autonomic nervous system that prepares us to take action when we detect a threat, you know, the, the fight or flight thing. Also, an autopilot is how the body responds to attraction. You already know that your heart rate and breathing may accelerate a little when you meet someone you're attracted to, but did you know your pupils can dilate as well? They do. Could be a giveaway, and it's beyond your control. So in a number of ways, our eyes can peek into our emotions, our physical well-being, and most importantly, our hearts. The Bible has lots to say about the connection between our eyes and our hearts, our spiritual health. But none more important than what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you beat darkness. Jesus is equating light with the gospel and faith with a healthy eye. Some people remain in spiritual darkness by choice. Others, uh, most of us, I suppose, uh, tend to wander around the edge of God's light from time to time. Not very safe place to hang up, not a healthy place to be. When the characters in the passion story of our Lord look at Jesus, what did their eyes give away? In most cases, because they were looking through the darkness of, uh, of sin-filled hearts, he was misunderstood, he was resented, reviled, and rejected. In other cases, though, by faith, people recognized him in truth. They looked at him with loving eyes, with loving eyes. In tonight's Gospel lesson, the Passover and the Passion are just a, a couple of days away. How Jesus knew it. And on more than one occasion, he told his disciples that his death was drawing near. Surprisingly, the, the impact of what he was saying never seemed to stick. In our lesson tonight, he and his disciples had been invited to uh, guess at a dinner party at the home of a man called Simon the Leper. It's odd in name as that sounds. Unlike Jesus, the other guests at Simon's dinner party weren't thinking about the cross at all. In fact, it was a party, maybe even given in Jesus' honor by Simon in response to Jesus having cured his leprosy. No, we're not told. Probably because there's something much more important going on. Houses at that time were often built with open courtyards, and people might pass by and be able to see you and your guests enjoying yourselves. And they didn't have to ring the doorbell to get in. Now, on this night, an uninvited woman does walk in. Maybe even barges in. There's a sense of uh, 
of urgency to the text. And, and she breaks off the neck of a very expensive bottle of perfumed oil and pours the entire contents on Jesus' hand. It was a pricey alabaster flask that could have been reused. But she was apparently so determined not to be stopped, she didn't take the time to, to break the, the seal properly. Instead, she just broke off the long neck. That sounds at first like she was assaulting Jesus. But the Lord and his disciples would have seen it differently. It's an odd story to us. But at that time, offering a guest oil, in this case, scented oil, would have been a way to, to show welcome. She seems to have understood who Jesus was even more than, than his own disciples and was demonstrated by this act of honor. I really don't know for sure what she was thinking. Maybe she loved Jesus so much because somewhere in his ministry, he'd shown great love to her. Now, rather than taking out their cell phones and all dialing 911, the disciples begin to complain angrily about the waste of money. Could have been sold for 300 denarii, they explained. If they're right in their estimate, that would have been roughly a whole year's wages almost for a day laborer. At a minimum wage of $13 an hour uh, today, something like $31,000. Just before Jesus, I remember, fed the 5,000 um, with just a little boy's lunch. People, the disciples were nervous. It was late in the day. People hadn't eaten. They're asking Jesus, what should he do? He goes, let's go buy him something to eat. Can't do that. It's late, and, and it would cost 200 denarii just to get enough bread to feed all these people. Imagine how many you could feed with 300. That was 5,000 plus women and children. That's exactly what Simon's guests were doing. They're wondering how many people were would go hungry because of this woman's impulsiveness. But they were looking at the whole scene with misjudging eyes. They acted as if Jesus had never said a word to them about his upcoming death in Jerusalem. Jesus totally gets it. And he links what the woman just did with the cross. Now, it may have seemed clumsy and impulsive, uh, unceremonious maybe, but to him, it was a beautiful work, and he says so. Their concern for the poor was genuine, but Jesus makes it clear that there will be other opportunities to care for the poor, but there weren't very many left to care for him. When the incarnate Son of God is sitting at your dinner table and preparing to suffer and die for the sin of the world in just a, a couple of days, and then be hastily entombed before the sunset without the proper anointing at his burial. Uh, the oil had been used in the very best way possible. King Solomon once wrote, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3. This was one of those special times. What the dinner guests couldn't see was the sheer uniqueness, the, the, the tremendous weight of the moment that they were witnessing. God's anointed one, that's what Christ and Messiah, that's what the words mean, was about to give his body and shed his blood for them. To give his life as a ransom for the masses, to, to be the once and for all time Passover Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. This wasn't a, a business as usual moment. And you have to believe that God the Father certainly found another way to provide for the need that day, even as he was about to allow his own son's blood to be shed for us. But Jesus and his disciples watched the very same scene play out that night with their own eyes. They saw it in very different ways. Jesus had already set his face toward Jerusalem when he came back down the Mount of Transfiguration. He was focused. Peter, James, and John, the select disciples who had been allowed to accompany him that day, witnessed what could only have been the glory of God that would allow Jesus to, to, uh, to appear like that on the mountaintop. But they saw it as a as a glory of God that would allow, allow him to be unstoppable in ushering in the kingdom of God. 
They saw the glory of the moment, but they still hadn't comprehended that Jesus' real power over evil would be revealed in his death and his resurrection. As Jesus sat there dripping, uh, the smell of the house must have overpowered the aroma of dinner. Like Easter lilies in our church can fill the sanctuary with the, the scent of the resurrection. By now the whole house would have been filled with the aroma of what would turn out to be burial spices. <clears throat> Jewish custom and most human cultures anointed the body you know, after the person has died. And then even now, while Jesus was living, she's preparing his body for burial. How did she get it when those closest to him did? She know that he was as good as dead already? We're not told. Maybe she had some insight that the disciples didn't. Well, maybe her act of compassion was simply that, a way to honor Jesus in, in the moment, and only the Lord understood its real significance. Jesus affirms the unnamed, unnamed woman's act of kindness, reminding the disciples that they're always going to be the poor to care for, but they won't always have him. It's hard to understand how they didn't understand that the culmination of his time on earth is drawing to a close. Truly I say to you, he told them, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. True that they must have realized by now that they've misjudged her. But the saving work of Jesus didn't depend on the understanding of the disciples. It was going to move forward according to God's plan, whether they understood it or not. Think about how the passion story will unfold from here. In the upper room that coming week, <clears throat> on Thursday night, while celebrating the Passover with his disciples, Monday, Thursday, Jesus will predict someone's betraying us. Someone who will hand him over to the authorities who were looking for an opportunity to arrest him when he wasn't surrounded by the crowds. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, they all ask? After they depart and move from the upper room to the Mount of Olives, Jesus predicts that they'll all fall away, leaving him struck down while they were scattered. Jesus, or Peter rejects what Jesus is saying, assuring him that even if all the others fall, fall away, he will never deny it. And maybe his eyes don't give him away yet. He means what he says. Well-meaning eyes. But Jesus sees truly. In just a short while, after this, as Jesus prays and in the agony of Gethsemane, three of them will fail to watch and pray as Jesus had asked them to. They'll fall victim to sleepy eyes. Right up until the moment of Jesus arrest in the garden, they still don't realize the time has come, just as they hadn't realized that the home of Simon the leper. During these midweek lessons of Lent, we're going to be looking at the various kinds of eyes with which people saw Jesus. How even children of God, like us, can allow ourselves to be blinded or have our vision of Jesus and the gospel blurred, leading to missteps and wrong turns. How many times have we denied it by our actions or betrayed it by our thoughts? Wanted to hand him over and be taken from our sight when the right thing to do in life turns out to be the most difficult thing. And we know he's watching. Tonight is a night for, night for life change. Life change begins with repentance, a word that means more than just being sorry. Everybody's sorry sometimes. Repentance means being sorry and then turning your, whole, your life in a, in a whole new direction, never looking back over your shoulder. Instead, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Yet even now, declares the Lord in our Old Testament lesson, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That's God's invitation. 
And it's the light and the darkness of sin that allows us to see Jesus. The exit sign from this merry ground of sinning and falling and sinning and falling. So let the cross-shaped symbol of ashes you wear reflect your desire to restore a right relationship with God. Your determination to maintain a right relationship with a God who's only too well. And then continue to live with that relationship, not just tonight, not just for a season, but for all time. May God bless our living journey together. Amen.